Welcome to Shift, a college admissions ACT and SAT podcast for a changing world. I'm Tyler, the founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable ACT course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to get you better results in less time. You can get a free trial at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast gets you 10% off at checkout. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss in a future episode, please contact me at tyler at achievable.me with the subject line podcast topic. Now, let's get started. Today, we have Phil McCaffrey from 3R Prep. And Phil, if you could just give a quick intro for the people who didn't hear your first episode, that would be great. Oh, you have to listen to my first episode. <laughs> uh, I'm Phil McCaffrey. I'm a SAT and ACT tutor in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I've been teaching the SAT for nearly 30 years. Uh, we're going to talk about the ACT and the SAT today on this podcast. I tutor students who want to achieve high scores to get into selective colleges. Yeah, fantastic. And so the biggest, you know, the big topic for today is the difference between the ACT and the SAT. And, you know, the digital SAT is coming soon. That was actually what we talked about last time. Um, But we also, you know, I think that while the digital SAT changes some things up with the format a little bit, particularly the reading, reading comprehension is been changed into something a good bit more digestible. The core differences between the two tests are probably staying the same. Is that about right? I would say so. There are big differences in that reading. They're going to be much shorter on the digital SAT. That's a big difference because the SAT passages are really long and cumbersome. Mm -hmm. The ACT passages are much shorter. So now the SAT is going to be shorter than the ACT. Got it. Do you feel like that's a little bit of like an arms race thing or just more sort of an approach thing? (laughs) A tactical arms race. So the, I think it is actually, I do think the SAT did it mostly to fit on a device screen. Right. I mean, that makes sense. Um, Because now they're going digital. I'm curious, speaking of the arms race, now the other major change with the digital SAT and sort of the comparison between the SAT and the ACT going forward is that they used to both be kind of, you know, three plus hour tests and the new digital SAT is now two hours. Do you feel like that's a, I mean, it's an interesting change and I'm curious what you think about it and whether you think it's going to factor into students' decision on which one. I think it's going to, I think it's going to be a huge factor, Tyler. I think the area where SAT tests are predominant, it's going to strengthen it. So if you look at the East Coast, like we talked about, mm-hmm. my friends in New Jer- my friends in New Jersey, their students are very heavily SAT focused. They're going to stick with the SAT because it's shorter. In areas where the ACT is prominent, like the Midwest, I think the SAT is going to grow some market share because students are going to want to take a shorter exam. Test fatigue is a real thing. So if they're going down where the SAT is going to be only 60%, Long as long as the ACT, students are going to cons- consider that a big factor. Yeah, I'm curious, just with making the test so much shorter, what do you feel like the impact of that is going to be on, um, essentially on test takers, right? Like if you're, if you're just con- talking ACT versus SAT in general, and one of, you know, one of them is about 50% shorter, you know, what does that mean for you as the test taker? Well, as we, as I mentioned Test, test anxiety and test fatigue are both real things. So mm-hmm. students get anxious, particularly in these high stake tests, and then students get fatigued. 
they peak and they read quickly, but then their eyes drift and their mind begins to drift at the end. And it's hard for a student to stay focused for a three-hour exam. And particularly for the ACT, as we'll talk about, it has that science section at the end. And that's uh, a lot of students come back and they say, I was just exhausted by the time I got to the science. And I have to read these technical words and my eyes were getting blurry and uh, I was running out of steam. So right. I think the I think the SAT has a significant advantage being shorter. Yeah, coming, it's interesting. Coming, coming in 24, 24. One of the things that I, when I talked to someone else about this change, one of the things that they said was that um, their their concern, or I mean, I guess their warning about the shorter test is, shorter test means you have you can get less problems wrong. That right? does that is true. Yeah, <laughs> that is very true. A um, shorter test means you have less problems wrong, and it's going to be test adaptive, so you have to do really well on that first section in order to qualify for like the Stanford MITs that we were talking about. Right. So Cause you have those, to get the hard second test. section, right? Right. They want the hard second section. So they'll have to pay attention and they can get fewer wrong. So there's a leeway and the ACT is really good about a leeway where you can miss a couple and still get a perfect score. Right. That's not going to happen on the new SAT. You won't be able to miss one and get a perfect. Right. Yeah, so that is that is a little bit different, and you know, I wonder how much I wonder about the balance between the anxiety of a longer test versus the anxiety of something where you have to be more perfectionist. So that'll be interesting for people to decide. Well, your selective students mostly take both tests, anyways. Hmm. You know, somebody trying to get into MIT is going to take the ACT and is going to take the SAT and then send their best results. So those students don't have uh, a lot of anxiety in terms of test anxiety, but in order to get a perfect on the new SAT, they'll have to be perfect. So right. it'll create some, some of that OCD perfectionist that we see in a lot of those students who will miss something small because they're so focused on doing well on the test. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and everybody is, able to and maybe even liable to make a mistake at some point right so it's it's definitely adding some pressure in my mind but well i've always i've always made at least one mistake i've taken the gre the gmat the lsat the mcat oh, i didn't take the mcat i've taught it once i taught the sat and i've always made one small mistake i've never gotten a perfect score my my highest math score was a 790 790 is pretty so, good I would I would have taken a 790. Um, yeah, so then thinking about the ACT and SAT, is there one that you feel is better for a certain kind of student? Or if a student is stronger in a certain area, do you recommend them a certain way? That's a great question. Let's focus on the science section of the ACT. You get two types of students, and one is the science phobic student, the student who just hates science classes, and they just don't want to read anything about pH or pressure or temperature, and when they see the words, they freak out. So a student who hates, uh, uh, hates high school science class really despises the ACT. So the students come in, they say, I hate science, I don't want to take the ACT. Or the student loves science, so you've got the science file, you know, you got the student who's 
just does extremely well in science. And I was that type of kid in high school. I was a math science kid. And I, our high school offered the SAT. They didn't even tell us about the ACT back in the day. I would have loved that section because I love the charts and graphs and technical reading. So I would have done really well on that. Um, I think it's a very easy section personally, mm-hmm. but students who students who hate it really hate it. So the big difference I always point out is the science section. Got and it. And then I think I think ACT reading currently for the paper based tests is a lot easier, but the pressure is on because you only have a few seconds for each question. Mm-hmm. So the reading is easier. But that high pressure, students who have test anxiety, they don't like the timing of the ACT. Does the ACT have, lastly, have just like more aggressive timing in general? Yes. Yes. On the science and reading sections, there are 40 questions, but they only give you 35 minutes. So you have less than a minute per question. So you have to read the passage and answer the questions. So based on how long it takes a student to read, by the time they get to the questions they may run out of time and that creates a lot of anxiety yeah yeah i could imagine that i mean people read at very different speeds <laughs> and so if you're not reading fast and or if you, basically reading fast gives you a competitive advantage reading particularly slowly probably makes it substantially more difficult and i don't think that that's a big benefit of the test because in life, you get all the time you need to read. You, you right. never have a speed reading right. test. So you don't hire somebody for achievable and say, hey, read this passage in 30 seconds and give me a summary. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. So the ACT is rewarding students who read faster and can glean information. How that helps you in college, I'm not really sure because a thorough student might be better at a course than a student who just happens to be a speed reader. So yeah. it's, it's, Depen- it's the, it's, it's the anxiety they introduce. It's the co- competition because given enough time, you'd be able to answer most of the questions. Right. Yeah. And I think that that will be a part that people like about the SAT or the new SAT. Once it switches to easier reading comprehension questions, then it will be a little bit more attractive because it'll be just like it won't have, I, I imagine I need to look this up, but. From what I've heard, the uh, the new digital SAT reading is not particularly time crunched, so you will no, have not. a good amount of time to to read and understand things. So the questions are going to be tricky. Mm-hmm. So how they make how the SAT makes reading questions tricky is by making the answer choices sound similar, and you must be a master of grammar and word meaning to distinguish between the differences. Students tell me all the time, both answer choice B and C could be correct. And I say, no, one is objectively wrong. What right. word in the answer choice makes it wrong? So right. uh, you have to be able to get down to the nitty gritty. Yeah. Another big difference, we're, we're, we're in 2022 and r- r- listeners who come in the future, there's, let's talk about the calculator. Currently on the paper-based SAT that's offered through 2023, there is a no calculator section, whereas the ACT is all calculator. Right. The SAT has the no calculator section. Now, moving forward in 2024, the SAT is going to have a calculator built in. 
So it's going, you know, from the pot into the fire, if you will. It's going from no calculator section to a Desmos calculator built into the software. So it's, you know, they, I think they're admitting they're wrong. Right. Well, I think they're also admitting that, you know, like my uh, eighth grade math teacher who used to try and make us uh, not use a calculator on exams, uh, fighting against sort of the, the, the inevitable tide of progress, <laughs> particularly with, with students, they want to use the newest thing that makes it as easy as possible to do their work, right? And so everyone, I think, now kind of is just like calculator first, doing mental math second um, in just life. And it does mirror in real life as well, right? You're talking about like you don't need to speed read in real life. You also definitely don't need to do, you know, 12 times 13 in real life like you can <laughs> you can generally no, you can say hey google what's 12 times 13 right exactly um not that that's not important for you if you're which is 156 this, by the way ah yeah i was wondering if you if you would know that um, i'm old school so i i learned mental math before calculators yeah back in the old day when we did math in our, with our own brains <laughs> um well, yeah, so then what are the differences in preparation that you would make when you're approaching each test, like, um, you know, both now and later with the um, with regards to the SAT, but then with the ACT, too? Well, on both tests, Tyler, what I recommend, and we can talk about this, this could even be another podcast, is how do you prepare and how do you prepare your memory, which is, you know, interesting to me. I'll plug Achievable. It's that based on improving your memory skills, which is fabulous because when you read a problem, mm -hmm. you're triggering your memories of I've solved a similar problem to this in the past. Right. So what I recommend, what I recommend students do is pick a test and then use the materials readily available. The SAT and the ACT both publish tests that are real and have been given to students. Now the ACT has been cracking down on the large number of tests that were on the internet. Mm -hmm. So both of them at this point publish previous tests. Going forward, the SAT is not going to publish previous tests, but they will have practice material on their website. Right. So an, a an ACT practice test is called a TIR. It's a test information release. So students studying the ACT, like the ones who do your achievable, what I recommend they do is search for TIRs and download them and practice on real tests. Right. I recommend right. I recommend somewhere between 6, 8 or 10 based on how motivated a student is. But around 6 tests, you will have seen every question that they repeat. Right. So there is a body of material that they repeat, and I'm sure that's what you go over statistically on achievable is what are the things that are repeated mm -hmm. so that it's in your memory mm -hmm. to pull out? There yeah. are questions that aren't repeated, so they're very they're one off. Right, exactly. We we call that um, we call that the base rate or like the occurrence rate, but it's basically just like how likely is this problem to be on the exam or problems of this type, right? And I think that that's that's a super important just general tip, regardless of which test you're taking, is. You should be studying the stuff that comes up more often, right? I mean, it makes sense when you put it like Absolutely. that, but like when you look at the majority of like books or even online courses, they'll just kind of present everything in a list and it gives it all equal weight, right? 
So it's really important Correct. that you should you should talk to your tutor or you know you should take a couple practice tests to kind of get a sense for what are the most heavily tested topics or that's something well, that's probably example, in in a good course they probably do tell you that. They should, you know, for example on the paper-based SAT that's given out in 2020 2022 right now we're in there are 58 math questions. There are 10 linear functions out of 58. So you're talking 20% of your test is a linear function. Yeah, it's pretty and high. I was, just read, I was just reading a math book that's very, very thorough. And they were going over things like polynomial long division and equation of a circle. And then they had one page on linear function. And I want to write the author. I don't, I don't want to be a curmudgeon, but I want to write the author and say, it's 20% of the test, but it's one page of your book. Right. You know, it should be an entire section, a chapter of your book with practice problems. I think you should write the author, actually. They probably <laughs> either don't know or that book is old enough that maybe the test has changed. Because, like, that's the kind of, I mean, we love getting that kind of feedback. <laughs> like, when people yeah. are like, you need more stuff on this, we're like, great, we'll go do that. Because um, everybody, you know, we're not allowed as the makers of the test prep software and uh, to go take like the SAT 12 times to figure out what's on it. Right. Like that's, it's a little bit of like a competitive intelligence thing. So we have to, we have to kind of go by hearsay from what the students say. Yeah, you, you, you really do. And there is data on that available on what test questions have what frequency. Mm -hmm. The question is who's doing the counting? You know, do you, do you trust the source? Right. Yeah, we, we trust ours because this is the author for our course. But I also, <laughs> I understand what you're saying, right? Like it is it is not like a thing that's released by the the company, right? It's college boards not releasing. This year, there's going to be nine geometry problems, 10 linear equation problems, and six polynomials. They're actually, you know, that's part of their trade secret. And also, the other thing that's most likely going to start happening, because this is what the GRE does too, um, is that not every test will be the same, which means... Not every test will have 10 linear equation problems on the digital SAT. Right. Some of them are going to have the six, digital, some of them right. are going to have you know 12, and it'll just be a range. And that's all kind of factored into their uh, to their software, most likely. And then adaptive. So then the section, you might get more linear or more polynomial based on getting the MIT or not, how well you do on that first section. Yeah, then and you might start doing the polynomial long division <laughs> at that point. <laughs> They'll, they'll, in my opinion, they'll still only be one, but I have a nice trick for polynomial long division, and that is substitute zero for x. Yeah. On all of the yeah. on all of the SAT questions, if you put zero or one in for x, it will fall apart into a fraction. Yeah, that is that is it's it's just a great tip for. I would say if. If you're ever stuck on a math problem with with uh, variables, in the majority of cases, plugging in zero or one will like it's one of the those are the special numbers that can really just like break a problem. <laughs> uh, it and, will at least eliminate a wrong answer. Yeah, so it's a good. You, you a might good place get two that equals zero, but one that equals three, and then the one that equals three you throw away. So, but yeah, plugging in zero and one is is a great test prep trick. Yeah, there are a few test prep tricks. I prefer students know the algebra. Right. So when I teach it, I like, say so you, you're looking here on the on the on the Zoom here on the Google. 
you're looking at my whiteboard. So I get to the whiteboard and I tell the students, all right, I'm going to teach you two ways. I'm going to teach you the polynomial long division, and then I'm going to teach you the plugging in a number. And when I get done, I say to the student, which one is easier for you? And invariably, the student says, I'll plug in a number. Right. But my my MIT students say, I want to do the polynomial long division. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's... Uh... It, it's it's sort of one of those things with most of these tests. And I think uh, this is actually maybe a, a curious question for you. There's something that um, is said a lot with the GRE for sure, which is that, you know, basically you, you, the goal of the test isn't to solve the math problem. The goal of the test is to get the right answer and move on, right? And there's oftentimes ways to get the right answer and move on that are not, that are easier or faster, particularly faster than um, solving the, it the math way. And so do you feel like the ACT and SAT, do you feel like either of those exams, their math sections are like that, where they're kind of trying to test your reasoning skills and they don't want you to do the math? Or do you feel like they're both pretty, pretty centered on you doing the actual math? Well, I've done the SAT so long that I've seen four versions of it in tutoring. And I think older SATs were much more focused on your problem solving. Mm -hmm. The current SAT is really high school based. Right. Though I call it not test prep tricks, but test prep perspective. So the ability to read the question and say, I've seen this before. And that's where, you know, having that long-term memory that we keep talking about is where your brain can say, I've seen that before. Right. And I've done it this way. So the biggest thing on the SAT is if you're doing a multiple choice problem, three of the question, answer choices are wrong. Three of them are wrong. So what I tell students to do is shift. So throwing a plug, <laughs> get, in, get a plug into your name your podcast name. Yeah. But sh shift your perspective to from what is right to what is incorrect. Mm -hmm. Tell me why the answers are incorrect. And – if you are really striving for a high score, you're going to study test design and answer choice design is a key part of these multiple choice tests. How do they write the wrong answer? What makes it so attractive? Right. And they're very good at it. Yeah, I would say they're both pretty good at it. Do you feel like there's a big difference between the ACT and SAT in that regard? I think the ACT over its life since 1959 has been more straightforward. Mm -hmm. I think the SAT over its life has tried to be tricky. So if you're a tricky person, if you're a problem solver, you're going to do well on the SAT questions, not necessarily if you're good in math. Right. So whereas the ACT has been straightforward, this is straight out of trigonometry. Where The ACT does have pre-calculus questions. So students who are in pre-calculus or have completed pre-calculus have a distinct, have a um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Have an advantage, have it, um, mm -hmm. have the ability to answer those questions because they're so easy. Uh, a couple of years ago, I actually taught at a high school. I taught pre-calculus and I kept throwing ACT questions out at the students once I taught the section. So I taught them, I tested them before the section. They got it all wrong, taught the section, tested it afterwards. They got them all right. So it's, it's straightforward, but you have to be taught the lesson. Right. And it also Very means few that students are studying that on their own. Yeah. And the other thing too, is it means also that you have to know how to, you have to know the math 
and you have to know the rule that is related to the math that you need to solve. And there's no way around yes. it, right? Yeah, the SAT tests less math topics. The ACT tests more math topics. So the ACT is a broader test. The AC, the SAT is very focused on algebra. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then are there any other differences that like key differences between these two tests that you think are important to highlight here? Uh, on math, you've got the fill in the blank on the SAT, whereas the ACT is all multiple choice. And there's a comfort factor with a certain student who can see the answer choices in front of them. If you're given a blank and you're drawing blank on the test, it's very hard to come up with that fill in the blank answer, which the SAT calls student produced responses. Yeah. So there's a, there's, there's a, there are, there is a student who just draws a blank and likes the ACT math because it's multiple choice. That's a that's a distinguish distinguishing factor. Yeah, I mean, at a bare minimum, a multiple choice uh, guess you have a one out of five chance of getting it right. If you are guessing a number, you're almost certainly not getting it right. Although I had a student once tell me that the the best guess was eleven. So every time I read an SAT, I'm looking for the answer eleven. I still haven't found one, but a student told me that. So that, that sounds, got it that sounds like a little, uh, a little, a little rumor that didn't come from anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, great. Thanks. This has been shift, a college admissions podcast for a changing world hosted by Tyler from achievable with Phil McCaffrey from three R prep. And you can get a free trial of achievables, ACT course at achievable.me. And you can use the code podcast to get 10% off if you like it.